Isn't God good? Again, for those of you who are new, haven't been coming here for a long time, we have kind of a tradition or a model or something that we do on a regular basis. The speaker, or I will ask, isn't God good? And the congregation responds resoundingly, he is good indeed. Let's do that again, shall we? Isn't God good? He is good indeed. Praise the Lord. That is really our focus today. It's no surprise that we're focusing on Thanksgiving at this time of year, but it's so appropriate because of where we came in the book of 1 Thessalonians when we saw what was really a letter of discipleship and encouragement that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Thessalonica. Last week we talked about doing the impossible, these standards that God has given to us as believers. How believers are to live, the attitudes that we're supposed to have, the behaviors, the things that we're to engage in. And we, we came very clearly to the conclusion, based upon Scripture, or drawn clearly from Scripture, that it is the God of peace himself who sanctifies us, who makes us holy completely, and that our whole spirit, soul, and body may be kept blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. How does this happen? He who called you is faithful. He will surely do it. Amen? All right, let's, let's have a word of prayer as we get focused on the particular passage, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Father, I want to thank you for the privilege that we have just to gather, the privilege that we have to come together recognizing who you are and what you've done, that we do have a Savior who has washed us and cleansed us and made us new, that you've made a, a, a declaration of your love for us in, in the cross of Christ and his death, the perfect propitiation, the, the perfect sacrifice that satisfied all the righteous requirements of the law, how he took our place and how that we can know you and now having come to know you, how we can live in such a way that you're glorified in our life, that we have a peace that passes understanding, that we have joy, we can be filled with joy regardless of the circumstances that we find ourselves in. And I just pray, Father, that you will challenge us that you will encourage us, that you will instruct us, that you will enable us, that today is the result of our time together, both in the songs that we have sung and the gifts that we have given, in the fellowship that we have joyed, and in the listening and allowing your word to penetrate our minds and heart, that you will continue to sanctify us in our spirit, in our soul, in our body. Complete, teleos, maturely, until the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. In these things I pray, in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Are you a thankful person? I have a friend that, that I see, I met her in the run group, and I see her, when I see her, I always ask her, how are you doing? And her response is, I'm grateful. I'm just grateful. And so I wanted to drill down on that, and I said, what do you, who are you grateful to, and what are you grateful for? And she said, unequivocally, I'm grateful to the Lord Jesus Christ, and I'm grateful for everything. Isn't that a great response? I think that is an outstanding response, and yet it is not the default response. As a matter of fact, I would tell you that the command that we have, and don't mistake it, it is a command. The command that we have to be thankful in all circumstances may be the most difficult thing that people face on a regular and consistent basis. There's also a companion passage in Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus where he says in Ephesians 5.20, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to look at both of these parallel passages of Scripture Thankfulness is to be a defining characteristic of a Christian's life, and we're to be known as a thankful people. But not everybody is, right? 
Uh, I want to talk about four kinds of people. Uh, you guys ever met anybody that just complained all the time? Couldn't be satisfied? Negative? Nothing ever made them happy? My dad, in one of his sermons years ago, told a story about a man who found fault in everything. Summer was too hot, winter too cold, spring too wet, and fall there were too many leaves to rake. He was impossible to please. He lived with a gracious wife who did love him and really wanted to at least see if the man could be thankful. One day she woke up and she said, you know, he likes breakfast or at least he depends upon breakfast. He never tells me he likes it, but I want to make the perfect breakfast for him. I'm going to take away all reasons for complaining because he was wont to criticize. It could be a a sumptuous meal. It could be a lovely meal and yet one thing wrong and, and he would pick on the one thing that was wrong she's like I want to do a meal that gives him no grounds for complaint I really want to please him and so she said what do you want for breakfast honey I want to make it just like you want it I want to serve you the perfect breakfast and he said all right I want two pieces of toast one on white bread lightly toasted I want one on wheat bread with grape jelly and then I want bacon and I want the bacon cooked crispy but not burned I don't want it floppy but I don't want it to taste burned And then I want yellow grits, and I want a bowl of yellow grits with butter mixed into it, some bacon bits in it. And then I want two eggs, and I want you to scramble one of the eggs, and I want you to fry one of the eggs over easy. And that's the breakfast that I want. And, of course, she thought, he's just making this hard. But she did it, and she did it great. She did it perfectly, exactly what he had had asked for. She sat the plate down in front of him and he, enjoyed, he ate the breakfast, but he still didn't look happy. And she said, what, what's wrong? Is it, was there anything not like you wanted it? And he said, you scrambled the wrong egg. <laughs> Some people just refuse to be pleased, right? They just have to complain. Some people are just complainers. That's kind of the lowest level when it comes to attitudes. And we know people like that. Brothers and sisters, don't be that person. And we're going to talk about the benefit of gratitude in just a moment. But then there's the next level. There are people who are not complainers, and they're not the negative, and they're not the downers. But these are just people who, are, who, don't, who never express gratitude. They never say thank you. They never say thank you to one another, much less to God. They're just, uh, what, affected by or, or characterized by ingratitude. Dr. Ironside, the one-time former pastor of Moody Church in Chicago, had an experience that he recorded in a crowded restaurant. He was about to begin his meal. The restaurant was crowded. There were some empty chairs around, but no empty tables. And a man approached and asked him if he could sit at his table. Pastor Ironside invited him to have a seat, and then as was his custom, Pastor Ironside bowed his head in prayer. When he opened his eyes, the other man said, do you have a headache? No, he said, I do not. Well, is there something wrong with your food? No, I was simply thanking God, as I always do before I eat. And the man said, ah, you're one of those, right? Well, I want you to know, I never give thanks. I earn my money by the sweat of my brow, and I don't have to give thanks to anybody when I eat. I just start right in. And Dr. Ironside looked at him and said, yep, you're just like my dog. That's what he does, too. I want you to understand, I want you to understand that too many times 
we are characterized maybe not by complaining, but we're characterized simply by a lack of acknowledgement that every good and perfect gift comes from above, from the Father of lights. We refuse to acknowledge or we simply ignore or look over or because of our own concept or idea of self-sufficiency, our obligation and dependency that even the air that we breathe comes from God. And we have an attitude of ingratitude. There's a next level. We talked about complainers and those who uh, have no attitude of gratitude. But then we come to the next level. And those are people who do say thanks when there are obvious reasons to give thanks. Uh, Thankful for the obvious blessings as they come. When their health is good, thank the Lord for my health. When the paycheck is good, thank the Lord for my paycheck. When relationships are good, thank the Lord for my relationships. And that's good. And I want us to be people who are thankful for the obvious blessings of God. But there is a fourth level, and this is the level that we're commanded to mature to. Get this. This is supposed to be not some higher expectation level. This is commanded to all believers all the time. This is to be normative for the Christian life. And that is to be thankful in all circumstances. It is God's will that you be thankful. This is a command. And it is a command that you be thankful in all circumstances. It is a command, as you said in Ephesians, for all things. And it's an attitude, a behavior that will totally change your life. We had a friend who was very sick and in the hospital. And we prayed for deliverance and for healing. And God, in his grace, granted it. And this individual was able to go home and over a period of time became healthy. While we were visiting him, someone said, or I said, isn't God good? And he looked at me very seriously and he said, yes, God is good, without a doubt. God is good. But had I not gotten well, God would have been no less good. It's important that we recognize that we are called to be people who are grateful for the goodness of God, even when the circumstances are not good. And so three points on the outline. We're going to run through them fairly quickly. When to be thankful is where we'll begin. And let's take a look at the word thankfulness. By the way, it's always good to kind of dig down on the roots of these words. This word is a combination of two Greek words. The first one is good. It's simply spelled E-U. And I don't know if that's E-U or U. But when I was taking Greek in seminary, we just figured U and good. It was easy to remember those. That's good. Ooh. Okay. So good. But the second word you'll be familiar with, charis. Are you familiar with the word charis? It's the Greek word for grace, the good grace, the good grace. Uh, the, the lexicon, the dictionary, says that thankfulness is properly acknowledging that God's grace is always good for our eternal gain and for his glory. And so the phrase to give thanks literally means that we are thankful for God's good grace. So what are we thankful for? And I want to go through this really quick, but the first thing is, man, we're to be thankful for the daily blessings of God. You can be thankful in all circumstances every single day because the Lord blesses us every day. Psalm 68, 19, in the New King James Version says, blessed be the Lord who daily loads us with benefits or blessing, the God of our salvation, Selah. In the ESV, because of the way that it's worded and the word that's chosen here, it's translated, Blessed be the Lord who daily bears us up, the God of our salvation. Both of those translations, based upon that word bear or load, 
identifies that every day God is our strength and is sufficient. He loads us up with blessings. He bears us up and carries us. You remember, as we talked about in Sunday school briefly, God's mercies are new every morning. You remember the song, Great is Thy Faithfulness? It's found in the book of Limitations. Listen, every day should be Thanksgiving Day for the believer. Amen? Every day should be Thanksgiving Day for the believer. We should, it, and it should start with intentional gratitude to God for the simple blessings of the day. Listen, we have so much to be thankful for that we just take for granted. If I can just point out a couple of things really quick. When's the last time you thank God for water? Now, I will tell you, I frequently thank God for coffee. Just going to throw that out there. But when's the last time you thank God for water? We have that. You can walk in the hallway right there, and there's a water fountain, and there are taps here. And you open the tap, and good, potable, drinkable water comes out. Did you know that in many, many, many places, not quite half the world geographically, but over half of the world as far as population is concerned, a source of clean, drinkable water is almost impossible to be had. And yet we take it for granted. Uh, Dad, one time, told Mom, you ought to thank God for dirty dishes. And, of course, she's like, nope. <laughs> Not grateful for dirty dishes. He says, well, they indicate that we had good food. And to that extent, absolutely. You can be thankful for the good food that we enjoy. There's so many simple, simple, regular, daily things to be thankful for. I have a friend that's always pointing out the beauty of the sunsets. And what I want them to understand is that we're to thank God for the beauty of the sunsets and the beauty of the sunrises. How many of you like fall? Do you like fall? I, I like you guys who like fall. I really do. You, you, you help me through it, and so that's always a win. But it's a beautiful thing to thank the Lord for the seasons, what he has given to us. The psalmist reminds us, as we've already heard this morning, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Don't forget any of his benefits. Forget, forget not all of his benefits. And now the tendency when we say you're to be thankful is, well, you don't know what I'm going through. You don't know. What about when the circumstances are good? We thank God for the simple things because his blessings are new every morning because he loads us with blessings. There are common blessings and, and common grace. But what about when things get hard? One may say, you don't know what I'm living with day to day. And I want to tell you right now, you're right, I don't. And in many cases, I have no desire. I wouldn't want to carry the load that you carry. But can I tell you unequivocally, I didn't write this. God wrote this. And he recorded it, and he's preserved it, and he's given it to us as a command. And I know that when difficulties and problems and harm and disaster comes, we can still be thankful and have an attitude that is grateful to God. And so the next point on your outline as I walk through this, I want to talk about the things to be thankful for. We can thank God not only for the simple things, the water, the food, the sunrise, and the sunsets, but we also thank God, can thank God for difficult things, for pain, disease, for death and disagreements, for problems and heartaches and confusion. And you say it's impossible, but I'm going to tell you I know that you can. I know that you can even when faced with horrible, hurtful circumstances. You can have a thankful heart to God. I want you to remember that when Paul wrote this, he was not on vacation on the Mediterranean. He was in a prison cell. 
when he wrote the book of Philippians, again, where the theme of which is rejoice and to be grateful and that God is totally trustworthy and you can thank him in all circumstances. He was in a different prison. It's always important to recognize that you can thank God in difficult circumstances. I've sat by the bedside of the terminally ill. I've heard them thank God for his grace. I've heard them thank God for his presence with them, for the blessings he poured out upon them. I've sat with people in the rehab center in the nursing home and the hospice house and heard them in very difficult circumstances express gratitude and praise to God. So how are you thankful when life is hard? Can I just point out a few things? This is by no means comprehensive. But just a few things that Scripture tells us about difficult circumstances that can equip us to be grateful people. Difficult times, God uses to correct me when I'm wrong. There are many times when I get off track. There are many times when I will leave the way that God has for me, and I need to be redirected. I need to be corrected. I need for there to be things in my life that will keep me focused and dependent in the right direction that God would have me go. And when they come, I see them as a problem. But as God works in my life, looking back, I see them as how God has directed and corrected and kept me turning from neither to the left nor turning to the right. Do you understand what I'm saying? Difficulties can be used for corrections, and corrections are not enjoyable. I've told you before that my parents would discipline us, and we knew that often when they disciplined us, they would discipline us. They would make it clear they were doing this because they loved us, and sometimes we wish they didn't love us quite so much. As a matter of fact, sometimes I think I was their favorite because (laughs) whom you love, you discipline The difficulty, it's what Hebrews chapter 12 talks about. When it says that God disciplines for our good, that we may share his holiness. At the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields a peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. To those who've learned it. To those who've walked through it. The difficulty. The difficulty is painful but it can be corrective. You remember what David the psalmist wrote? Psalm 119.71, I believe it is, where he says, Before I was afflicted, I went astray. It was your affliction that brought me back. If God's discipline, if the difficulty, it's God's discipline, and it produces the peaceful fruit of righteousness in your life, can't you thank him for it? It Thank him for the lesson. Thank, you for, thank him for his faithfulness. Not only can it correct you when you're wrong, but it can increase your dependence upon God. It can increase your reliance, your trust in, your confidence in, and your dependence upon God. We are a stubborn people. And too often we're convinced of our own abilities rather than living totally dependent upon God. We, We keep turning back to ourselves. You guys want, I understand that everybody can't. I wish everybody could be in everybody's Sunday school class, but we've been going through a survey of the Old Testament in one of our Sunday school classes back here. And what comes out of that, just with amazing clarity, is the faithfulness and the kindness and the mercy and the grace of God and the fickleness of his people. 
how they will get in trouble and they'll turn to him for help and he will send someone to rescue them or to proclaim goodness to them. And when they come in repentance and then he will protect or guard or give them victory in a circumstance. And as soon as all the trouble goes away, what do they do? They go away too and they fall away. And there's this almost horrible, horrific cycle of drawing close to God and then turning away from God. And sometimes it's in a lifetime and sometimes it's in a generation And sometimes it's over a period of generations. Can I tell you what pain will do? Pain beyond what you can bear will lead you to the one or should lead you to the one who bears all things and can uphold you with his mighty right hand. I've often been asked, where's that verse that says God won't give you more than he can bear? Do y'all know where it is? It's in a Hallmark card. not in scripture the teaching of scripture is God won't give you more than he can bear you understand the difference it means that we run to him when we are when life is more than we can bear we depend upon him Paul knew this Paul had a trouble and he had some affliction a messenger from Satan that was driving him nuts, and he wanted to be used by God, and he wanted to be used effectively. And this was the guy who traveled around, and he preached, and he taught, and he proclaimed the word of God, and he wrote letters, and he was greatly used by God. And he went to God over three periods of time. He said, God, whatever this problem is, he knew what it was. We don't. But whatever this problem is, take it away from me. Take it away from me. Take it away from me. And each time, God said, no, 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 stop asking. And when he got to stop asking, Paul began to understand, and the Lord revealed to him, I'm not taking this away from you for a reason. He says here, let's just read it, 2 Corinthians 12, verse 8, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. He said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for, what's the next statement? My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly in my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weakness and insults and hardships and persecutions and calamities. Why? Because when I am weak, then I am strong. You understand what I mean when I talk about dependence upon him? I mean, difficulties lead us to trust him. To place ourselves in his hands and in his care. Many times we have to come to the end of ourselves before we turn to him. And if your struggles are increasing, you're leaning upon him. You can thank God for them and the consequences of them. Another thing struggles will do, and I want to do this quickly, is they can develop my concern for others. To live above with saints we love, oh, that'll be glory. But to live below with saints we know, that's another story. Sometimes it's hard to get along with folks. And yet, sometimes God puts us through difficult times to soften our hearts toward those around us and to make us fit vessels for the master's use, for the building up of the body of Christ. Paul, again, 2 Corinthians, when he's writing in chapter 1, he talks about his own struggles, but he starts out by saying in these struggles, as we turn to God, we find that he is faithful. We're blessed with his strength and we're comforted. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our affliction, affliction or suffering, suffering, struggles, hard times. God comforts us. Why? So that we may be able 
to comfort those who are in any affliction with the same comfort which we ourselves are comforted by God. So he says we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings. Through Christ, we share abundantly in comfort too. If God uses your pain to build others up, to be a benefit to others, to soften your heart toward other people, can't you thank him for it? One more thing, well, maybe one more thing. We'll see. Difficult times, difficult circumstances, struggles and suffering can bring about God being glorified in our lives as we go through them. In a very specific circumstance, the Apostle Peter is preparing believers for persecution simply because they obey Christ and they glorify Christ and they walk in obedience to God's word, okay? And so being persecuted for the name of Christ and for the cause of Christ, in 1 Peter chapter 4, he says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial, there's your struggle, when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings. Rejoice that you may rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. When His glory is revealed in us through the trial. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed because of the Spirit of glory and of God rest upon you. Listen, sometimes we do everything right and we suffer. Sometimes we proclaim the name of Christ. Sometimes we even go to another country or even in this country. It's going to be increasingly so in this country. When we stand on truth and we obey what the Word of God says, and even when we do it with love and grace, but we are uncompromising, you will be put in difficult circumstances. You may lose a job. There may be far worse things that happen to you as far as uh, disassociation from friends and ultimately far worse. There are believers throughout history who have lost their heads, their lives, their families, because and their freedom because of their faithfulness to God's Word. And yet here he says you can rejoice in that. You can be joyful in that. You can be grateful in that because God is glorified in it. But what about when it's not specifically persecution for the name of Jesus? Can God be glorified in other circumstances as well? Again, I wish we had more time. We, I might want to deal, drill down in on some of these, but there's a, a beautiful story in John chapter 9 where Jesus walks into a city and as he passed by he saw a man who was blind from birth and his disciples they asked him they said rabbi teacher who sinned this man or his parents that he's born blind whose fault is it is it his fault is it his parents fault was this handed down from him and Jesus gave a, a, a surprising answer an answer that many of us would not welcome he says listen it was not that this man sinned or his parents but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Speaking of himself, he says, We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. And then having said these things, Jesus bent down. He spit on the ground. He made mud with the saliva. He anointed the man's eyes with mud and said, Go wash in the pool of Siloam. And so he went and he washed, and when he came back, he could see. What, what do we learn from this passage of Scripture? Sometimes, sometimes, not always, but sometimes things happen not simply for our correction, not simply to make us more mature, not simply to, 
to, to help us be molded, increasingly dependent upon God. But sometimes, just so that God can intervene in a way that only God can intervene and be glorified by His works in us and through us. If God is glorified in your... By the way, you never have a greater opportunity to be a witness and a testimony of the reality of the sufficiency of Christ to people who don't know Christ than when you are suffering and rejoicing and being grateful in it. It's what differentiates us from the world. It's what makes a difference. Sometimes things happen just that God is glorified. You remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or better, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Hebrew names. They were bound and they were thrown into the fiery furnace. Scripture records, I see not three, but four men unbound, walking in the midst of the fire. And they're not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like the Son of God. Sometimes, through our suffering, God becomes more visible to a lost and dying world. I'll just skip ahead to mystery and maturity. Without pain, you don't grow. And sometimes you will never get the answer to the question, why? Sometimes it's not correction specifically, and sometimes it's not instruction. I, I don't, can't tell you how many times I've said, Lord, just teach me what you want to teach me. I'm ready to get out of this. You guys ever been there? All right, Lord, just teach me. Lord, if I'm doing something wrong, make it abundantly clear because I'm done with this. I'm ready to do whatever it takes to get it right. And that's not the answer. It's not correction, and it's not so much instruction. And it may be just a process of a fiery child that produces steadfast endurance, maturity, teleos, that he continues to work within us. And sometimes all we can say is we just have to trust God. The whole book of Job, by the way, a righteous man, a man that loved God and that God was proud of and pleased with and bragged on, begins with him suffering, this righteous man suffering. And you think as you get into the book, finally the answer in God's word, God's going to explain why bad things happen to his people. And when you get to the end of the book, you know what you find out? God doesn't explain. God says, hey, were you there with me when I placed the stars in the heaven and formed the earth? And the angels sang. Were you there with me when I created this and created that? Can you? And what God is doing is he's revealing his might, his majesty, and his glory. And he's telling Job, in every circumstance and in every situation, I'm God. And you can trust me. We may never know the why, but we can always know the who. We can always know the who, a God who loves us. How, so how do you be thankful? Uh, and we'll close with this. How do you be thankful? First Thessalonians 5.18, give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Ephesians 5.20, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. In Christ Jesus, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Can I tell you that what God commands us to do, God enables us to do. And you may say, I cannot. 
I don't know how many times that you've done this in your walk, and there have been several times in mine where I've prayed, Lord, I, I want to believe. Help my unbelief. Have you been there? Uh, Lord, I want to be grateful, but I don't feel grateful. Lord, I want to have an attitude that is, expresses thanksgiving. I want to be one of those people who are joyful and rejoice in the Lord. But, Lord, it's not happening. I don't feel it. Help me. How do I? And can I just make it about as simple as I can make it when it comes to thanking God? Thank God whether you feel like it or not. You see, there's something about this dynamic. And if we can get this in every command. You understand we don't live by explanations, right? God doesn't explain everything to us. We live by promises and by commands. We are obedient to God, and he promises his grace and his sufficiency and, and his kindness and his mercy and how that he guides, and he promises us in eternity with him. But a lot of times we're commanded to do things, and it's like, I can't do that. I'm to believe this. I want to believe it. I don't. I'm to forgive. I want to forgive, but, boy, I'm harboring unforgiveness in my heart. I want to always speak the truth, but... Not doing so well there. I want to follow this commandment. I want to follow that commandment. And we find ourselves failing. Can I tell you what to do? How this works? You set out to set your mind and say, Father, I'm going to obey. You say, be thankful. I'm going to thank you. And as you begin to do what you cannot do, God, through his Holy Spirit, enables you to be able to do the impossible, what you can't do apart from him. Do you understand what I'm saying? I don't know if that's confusing or it's not. As an illustration, there are things that I don't want to be thankful for. I'll, I'll keep it light, but I want you to know that this is not a light topic. I don't like being cold. I know that comes as a surprise to you, but I don't like being cold. And as I was preparing for this, we've had two warm days. Aren't y'all glad for the sunshine yesterday? It was in the 70s. Praise the Lord. It was easy for me to thank God yesterday. But I got up the first part of this week, and I walked outside, and it was just over 40 degrees. And I know that sounds like summer to most of you, but that's the middle of winter to me. And I'm studying this passage on being thankful for everything. Lord, I'm not thankful. And clear as day. I was prompted by the Holy Spirit. By the way, when it says grieve not the Holy Spirit, he's talking about don't neglect the prompting of the Holy Spirit, but be obedient to where he guides us to do. And I was prompted by the Holy Spirit, clear as day, sitting in my truck whose heater does not work very well, shivering to just simply be grateful for the cool weather and the seasons and where I was right then at that point in time. And I'm like, Lord, I don't want to thank you for this. I'd really rather be a missionary to Jamaica right now, frankly. <laughs> I really don't want to thank you for this. And I know, again, this is light, and I'm keeping it light for a reason. But I want to tell you, I got a friend who's got breast cancer and has been walking with breast cancer and is able to thank God in the midst of walking with breast cancer. I've known friends, people who are like, I don't want to be thankful for this. But because you command it, Lord, and because you enable the things that you call us to do, I am going to thank you. And as you begin to obey, you will find that obedience impacts your feelings, your emotions, and what you're able to do in your heart. 
You're never, you will never experience the power of God until you come to him in dependence. And that's typically only during difficult circumstances. And you surrender and do what he does. What he commands, he enables, he does. Lord, I don't feel thankful, but I'm going to thank you anyway. And when you don't know, there are some things that you can know. And I deal with this a good bit. I don't know why bad things happen, and I don't know why people suffer. I know we live in a fallen world, and I can give you a good number of passages of Scripture about the sinfulness of men, the consequences of sin, the sinfulness of our own hearts. I can talk about the curse that the world lives under, and I can talk about the reasons, the many different reasons that, that, that God in his sovereignty, though he can intervene, determines not to intervene in a way that we would ask him to. But I will tell you, Sometimes it's a mystery, and it's okay that it's a mystery, because when I don't know the why, I always know the who. And when I don't know, there are some things that I always turn my attention to, the things that I do know. I know that God loves you. I know that God loves me. If you ever question the love of God, just spend some time looking at the cross of Christ, where God sent his son, the Messiah, promised from the book of Genesis, to live a perfect life, to be born of a virgin, to live a perfect life, to go to the cross and there to be the propitiation. That's a terrible word. I have trouble announcing it, but it is a wonderful word. It means that he completely satisfied the righteous requirements of the law in his life. He didn't, he didn't sin at all, none, never once. And yet he went to the cross to take the penalty for all of your sins and all of my sins. He took the penalty for the sins of the world. And so that the righteous requirements of justice, God's wrath against sin, were poured out on him. The Bible says it in a variety of different ways, but I love this. But now as God demonstrated or manifested his love toward us, that while we were still enemies, Christ died for us. When I don't know much, I know this. I know God loves you. You can look at the cross. When I don't know much, this, much, I know this. God's not asleep and God doesn't, is not slumbering. God is not inattentive. He knows what's going on with you and he is where you are. He promises to never leave and to never forsake. What I know beyond a shadow of a doubt is God is sufficient. If you have nothing saved Christ. You have everything, everything that you need. Everything is going to pass away except the word of God, except for God, the word of God, the people of God who will spend an eternity with him. I know that he's promised to uphold you and to be your strength and your shield. I know he's trustworthy. I know he's not a man that he should lie. I know that all his promises are fulfilled. In the Lord Jesus Christ. So here's my question for you. Do you know him? Do you know the Christ? Have you ever met him personally? Have you come to him in repentance and faith? Acknowledging your need of a savior. Entrusting your life to him as the savior. The only savior. If you haven't, today's a good day. You want to talk about Thanksgiving. You'll be greater, more grateful than you've ever been in your whole life. Just to know him, just to be at peace with him. For those of us who know him, isn't God good? Father, thank you for your goodness. 
Thank you for it being displayed on the cross. Thank you for the desire and the command here that we are to be thankful in all circumstances. It's your will that we be thankful. But, Father, it's your will that we be thankful regardless of the circumstances. So cultivate in us this attitude of gratitude that makes us dependent, that keeps us obedient, that directs our paths and matures us, and that even increases our trust in you when your will seems to be a mystery. There are some things that we can know. Father, if there's someone here who does not know you, has never come to you in repentance, faith may know about you, but they've not experienced what it means to be washed, what it means to be cleansed, what it means to be set free from guilt. I pray that you will draw them to yourself, that they will come to you and they will cry to you, enabled by your Holy Spirit. But as they walk in, take that step in obedience and surrender to you, that you will give them new life, that you will wash them and cleanse them make them into something that they've never been before. And I pray that our testimony of gratitude will be tremendous this week of Thanksgiving, but Father, as a continual display of your glory in our lives. In your name I pray. Amen.